Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Ed, we are back at it. Straight into it. <laughs> Tag team back again. Check it, the record. Let's begin. Oh. I'm old, sorry. Yeah, we don't we're not we're not good at that at all. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. Hey, so we're gonna we're gonna dive into this because this is uh this is a pretty important topic we brought up, Ed. I know we usually we chit chat back and forth, but I'm pretty uh excited to get into this because I think it's gonna it's definitely going to uh, build upon what we talked about just the last episode. And, and those of you who didn't listen, if you hadn't listened to the most previous episode before this one, it's where we got into uh, the value of influence. And we talked about we per- talked about personal power versus positional power. And some of the things we, we discussed in there was about loyalty. And what the title of this show being Influence is, one of our... Uh, many of influence is, but influence is loyalty. And we want to look at, you know, how loyalty is one of those things that it helps create a better organization, Mm. but it can be done at the influencer or leadership level. Wouldn't you say? Well, yeah. I mean, when we talked about it in the last episode, when we talked about um, uh, personal power, right. As a tool for uh, personal power with influence, we talked about loyalty and how, your personal power, your ability to interact with people builds that loyalty, which then builds that trust, which then builds your team. So it's like a, you know, a succession of things. So we talked about a lot in that episode. We also have talked a lot about it on the leadership capital uh, episode, because that's where that loyalty comes from. You know, I, yes. So I had soldiers before, you know, you build that loyalty with them and I, when somebody says something about you as a leader and you're not, necessarily around sometimes your soldiers can be too loyal and start threatening soldiers for saying bad things you know i remember that i don't know if you remember the old in 11 colors skit and the ladies like nobody better talk bad about and i forget the lady's name but she was loyal and my soldier basically did that before Mm -hmm. brian somebody said something that they didn't think was true and they stood up for old sorry Haley and it was confrontational and i had to go see the man on the carpet so (laughs) (laughs) hey i mean that's that's loyalty right there i mean yeah and you know so that's one of the things i've told it i talked about it before is when i do my in briefs with new soldiers to our organization part of it is me asking them if you took one of the army values and you say hey this is my guiding light throughout Mm -hmm. uh and and it's what helps me get through things you know loyalty has come up many times now i would have to say Right now, it was, you know, before I noticed, I was starting to notice integrity was kind of the, the deal, but respect and loyalty seem to be something that are, it's, I think things are changing. There's a shift somewhere where I think kids are, they, they rather have a, a good loyal leadership or loyal peers or subordinates and, 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 be, and show respect both ways before anything else. And I think a lot of them feel like that's what uh, you know the whole development piece or, or becoming a better organization is built upon. Which mm. I mean, I can see, I really can. But yeah, loyalty's definitely stepped its game up. Uh, I, I can say I did. I think I've done fifteen or so different 
in briefs recently, you know, in the past couple of weeks and yeah. loyalty came up probably half the time. So that's, that's a, that's a good thing. I think you'll see probably ebbs and flows of that, like where it changes over time and space. I mean, yeah, even in, for me personally, when you talk about army values, bro, I can tell you that if you ask me now, it may not be the same thing it was six months ago. Like, which the most important one to you? It may change. You know, everybody always tries to use integrity because then they can say, well, all of them, uh, integrity encompasses <laughs> them all. Like, that's a normal, you know, book answer kind of thing. But, I mean, yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, time, do you want a soldier who's really got great integrity, but they're not loyal to you? They're disloyal soldiers. So, I mean, I can see the argument either way. Uh, yeah, I, I I agree with you. I'm I'm yeah. I'm definitely one of those integrity people, but I, I don't, you know, they do all kind of build. But I just this <laughs> I guess it's something. <laughs> yeah, there's something about integrity with me. Like it's I have to be as truthful as possible. I just I don't. If I lied to somebody, I just I wouldn't feel right. Um, and I think that falls in the whole point of me also respecting them and being loyal to them. Though I really like this. Uh, what where we got here. It's basically uh, ten steps to increasing uh, employee loyalty, but I'm I'm not always going to put the employee in it because I think it could be for anyone. So it could be employee of the entire organization. It could be it could be a subordinate. It could be a peer. It could be uh, a senior to you. It doesn't matter who it is. But the fact is, is you there's ways to induce some type of loyalty, right? So fostering employee loyalty is definitely essential for the long term success of any business. It, because if they become loyal to that organization, they're, they're, they want to be there longer. They want to make it grow. They want to make it better. Not only will it decrease turnover costs, right? Mm-hmm. But it can also boost the productivity, increase efficiency, and it can provide a much more stable work environment for everyone. And uh, we're going to get into one of them. That one of the one of the ten that I feel, and I know we've talked about on the show before, but I feel definitely creates that stable work environment because that's what it, that's that's really a big thing. You know, I mentioned it last show where some people would rather have a stable environment than get paid more money. They just want to feel appreciated. You know, so I I I, I do agree with that. And no one says it. You know, it's easy to build loyalty there. It's not that like, oh, okay, here's the the 10 steps. Uh, I'm just going to follow these and it's going to be, no, there's definitely ways to go about it. You know, we talked about influencing people or the value of influence last time using the the p- different types of powers of personal power and a positional power. Well, inspire, inspiring loyalty, it can be kind of tricky also. It's, it's, it's like an intangible type object that you can't just grab a hold of and say, oh, I've got it. I've got this loyalty now. You actually kind of... <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've got to work towards it, and and it's almost I I kind of look at it uh Ed, it's like almost like the uh, the stock market how stock goes up and stock goes down. I think loyalty does that too with our actions and and the things that are going on within the organization and whatnot. You know, uh, fortunately though, there are actions that people can take to get others within the organization to stick around for the longer haul, right? Mm-hmm. And that's. You know, that's like that's that's not those short stocks. This is somebody who's like, you know, they bought Microsoft stock when it first came out, and now they're they're now they're just cashing in ones or ones and two stocks to to make tons of money. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna actually give 
10 different steps or 10 different ways uh, people can create that type of loyalty to help encourage people uh, to stick around and to help build the organization. So you ready to go after it, man, or what? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been looking forward to this, but if you think about what we talked about last episode, you're talking about sticking around. And we talked about last episode, like, you know, um, we actually talked about loyalty as a method to get people to stick around last episode. So I think this episode is going to tie in real nicely to the previous one, Brian. Oh, yeah, I, I think so, too. I, I think it it is a uh, it's a match made in heaven, just like <laughs> you and I. <laughs> just like you and I. Oh, help me. Number one, number one, right off the bat is increase confidence in leadership. Oh, yeah. Now, before I even read any of what's going on here, man, I can tell you right now, I have seen it where people are not confident. They're not very confident in their leadership and loyalty goes out the freaking window. And people are just like, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Like I ain't falling. You know, well, you. So, for instance. You've mentioned before that you've had a certain individual before <laughs> call the first sergeant the last sergeant. There was yes. no loyalty there None. whatsoever, right? Because he felt like he didn't have confidence in him, but I think it was just because he didn't, you know, things weren't the way he wanted. But and, and never to his face, mind you. Oh, yeah. I would probably never. Well, you know, and I've, I've, believe me, I've dealt with people where the, you know, they're in the same organization as me, but they'll say your commander. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's your commander too. So I think it's our commander. But they say that in a disrespectful way because they they don't they don't have they maybe they don't have confidence in them or they there could be multiple things. Now, could it be the leadership? Yeah, it could be. Or could it be the fact that the individual's not, you know, engaged, uh, empowered or anything like that, or mm. they feel like they're underused or they just don't feel like that. People are catering to them. There's lots of different things, but yeah, but well, I'm sorry. I think in my example, you talked about it. Like the reason he did that type of stuff. Generally, if he said, oh, the last sergeant, it was because he just told him something he didn't like. So he would come back and say, well, the last sergeant wants y'all to do this and this and this, you know what I mean? Or he'd say your first sergeant. He was notorious for that too. And, And generally it was him literally pointing the finger at him and calling him these things because he just got his tail side handed to him in a meeting or he said, Hey, we can't support that. And then the first one said, you will. So it was a lash out thing, but it's still a lack of loyalty, which then sends the message to me. Who's the next line under him that he's not loyal to the chain of command. You know what I mean? Which then causes a, a, a friction point between him and I. So yeah, uh, definitely in response to things you don't want to hear. Oh, it's not the news I wanted. So instead of executing, because there's a chain of command and a chain of uh, concern for a reason, he would just badmouth it and belittle it, you know? Uh-huh, exactly. And and so we're talking about the side of things where someone was just lashing out versus – now, there are also the other sides, Ed. I've, I've seen them too where, listen, the competence or the level of – uh, leader engagement or just some of the things that are said or done, you're just like, are you kidding me? What is going on here? I am very uh, concerned with the decisions to be made. I've seen that mm-hmm. too. All right. And so what this writer is saying right here, though, is the results are actually from this 2003 Darwin survey. Basically, mid-level management shows that one of the most important components of employee loyalty is confidence in leadership. The employees, they want to feel 
that the management team knows what it's doing and they want to work for a company that is at least trying to be the best in its field. Now, now nothing is worse than being a part of an organization that's not like that, right? I, there's so many times that I've been a part of uh, a maintenance team where half the people you, you like, oh yeah, they have, they're not very good at what they do. They need to go do services. And then you have the other half, you're like, <laughs> good night. They're geniuses. It's unbelievable. I, I mean, I've totally been a part of stuff like that. And I've also had it where I've had the leader of our group. I was just like, what are you thinking? Why would you even tell us to do that? You know, uh, or they, the only good idea is their idea, but most of the time it was a bad idea, right? I've seen that one too. Oh yeah, and it just kind of it knocks my confidence in their ability to lead. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, you're right. Like, I need to have that confidence in whoever I'm following, and it could be disciplinary too. You know, if you have somebody like that you work for, and they allow your peer group, other people, to speak to them, you know, with a disrespectful tone or in a disrespectful manner, and they kind of turn the other cheek to it. That undermines my confidence in him as well, which then undermines your loyalty. It's like, am I following this person? Because they're going to allow them to do whatever they want. So it does make those things very difficult. There's a lot of great examples of, you know, ways to really damage somebody's confidence. And I think as a leader, once you've lost the confidence of your followers, your soldiers, your peers, your seniors, I think once it's gone, man, it's very difficult to get back and earn back. Yeah. And, you know, and it's not like it's going to it's it's the easiest thing in the world, though, to even uh, achieve increasing the confidence. I mean, there's a lot of work that go into it. I mean, you you know, to increase that confidence, you really got to take every opportunity that you can to become uh, better at your particular job or, or your skill set or knowledge, you know, seek out training, encourage feedback, um, even look for ways to maximize your own potential. But at the same time, it's like you got to balance that with your job. So I can't have, I mean, an organization can't have the leader of a management team or something like that, or or a, sometimes a squad leader or somebody gone months and months on end at schools and stuff or to go to college oh, man, or that. Yeah. Sometimes, you you know, they got to do it on their own, on their own time. And, you you know, you may be working during the day and doing schoolwork at night. Sometimes you have to do that to, to try to make ends meet and try to increase that knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, some, when employees or subordinates or peers, or whatever you want to call them, when they see that man, the management team is actually excelling and the company is actually doing well, that kind of builds this positive energy, right? And it will flow completely downhill. If they positivity breeds positivity, I've said it before on here. Negativity breeds negativity, and when they when they feel that positive energy, right, and they feel, they see that wow, this guy really knows, or this girl really knows what they're talking about, or I can't, you know, see how they go out of the way. That's amazing. They're, you're building that confidence, and it goes downhill. And that enthusiasm that will start like basically picking up momentum, momentum, and everyone will start to uh, start to have more confidence around it. But it's in, I've seen it before. You can probably uh, say this also, where somebody basically goes to their office in the morning, 
They close the door. You don't see them until they come out for lunch. After lunch, they go back in their office. You don't see them until the end of the day, or sometimes they leave a little bit early. Ugh. And you're like, what does that person even do here? Well, I mean, you know, I are we running the organization or is that person? You know, I've seen that too. Yeah. Sit on a computer all day yeah. and just search. I've, mm-hmm. I've had, I've had an individual. I'm not joking, Ed. And I wish I could have done something about it. I mean, the guy's gone long gone out of the army now. But he would come into work every day and we get on the computer and every once in a while, if you peek at it, like what was on his computer, he's like surfing the web, like Amazon and eBay and Facebook. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. I hear this now uh, that I just the other day, because I, I wasn't even thinking about it back then. Just the other day, one of the guys was saying, oh, yeah, man, you can't be buying anything while you're on your government computer. I'm like, yeah, I, yeah. And I, and I was like, ding. I was like, oh, my <laughs> goodness. I forgot about that way back when. But this guy was buying stuff. And I was like, oh, man. Like, it was personal. It was for personal. He wasn't, like, using government yeah. money. But he was on a government computer, and he was going on that website, and he purchased stuff. But, yeah, it's just, I don't know, man. It You really have to be careful because if if that's all you're doing, my confidence, I literally feel like I'm the one who's running the show. I probably should be getting your money instead. I mean, I think it's uh, uh, fair enough, but you don't know, too. And the crazy thing is that person could really be doing something of value, but they kind of give that perception that they're not, you know what I mean? Because you don't know what they're really doing. They're not doing any kind of battlefield circulation or office circulation. You know, even something so simple as I'm going to, I have to use the latrine. On my way, I can poke my head in the office and be like, hey, how you doing, team? Everything good? Anybody need anything from me? And then I go and use the latrine. And then they're saying, oh, well, he is a leader of presence. He's around. We Ah, see him. He speaks to us. Boom. And then that he could still be in the office playing online poker and not doing any real work. But because he did that little act, you know what I mean, and showed some presence, it, it assists in some of the confidence in his team that he's involved. He can still be a, a dud. It doesn't mean he's great, but we're, we're hoping he's still he's good too, not just the dud that says hi. But, mm-hmm. um, but battlefield circulation and, and being a leader of presence can can help put some confidence in your team. Yeah, for those of you listen, if you don't understand what battlefield circulation is, that's basically just getting out there and mingling amongst the troops. It's getting out there, seeing what's going on. In, in times past or even even now, it's, it's that senior leader going on there checking that foxhole, checking on that person, yeah. this man in those weapon systems pointed out towards the enemy. That's what it is. It's the same thing, in a, and it could be the exactly same thing in a uh, any type of civilian organization. It's getting around, going and talking to people, shaking their hands, saying, hello, how are you? Is there something that this organization could be doing? you? Those types of things, that's what Battlefield Circulation is. Great point. You ready to give us number two, Ed? So number two is is pretty important too. <clears throat> Improve the co- uh, company culture, and so company culture is just a combination of the personal interactions between management and employees, and personal interactions between employees. Oh yeah. So basically, what we're talking about here, we're talking about how your team, how your employees interact with each other, and you as a manager are responsible for having just, you got to have some kind of idea. So let's go back. We just talked about being battle doing battlefield circulation, right? Leader of presence. How do I know if Schmuggatelli 
and B. Rye are not getting along if I'm never around. I don't have my finger on the pulse of the company's culture. Because if I know that B. Rye and Schmuggatelli are having some issues, I can talk to them. I can try to, uh, without getting into the personal side of it too much, but I can try to address these issues to mend the mend defenses and get my team back on track. But I can't do that if I'm not circulating through the office. If I'm not talking to Schmuggatelli or talking to B. Rye, you know, those are important things. And that's what comes from when we talk to, we always, you just explained to the listeners battlefield circulation. But to me, you got to be aware of what's going on and, and you don't want to be in the, you don't want to be in their business too far, but for the good organization, you need to understand what's happening in your organization to include per, interpersonal relationships. And in order to do this, it starts with you and how you interact. Again, battlefield circulation. So, hey, Schmuggatelli, how's it going? Hey, what you do? Did you travel this weekend? Oh, yeah, I haven't been there. Da 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 da. Boom. You know, hey, hey, B. Rye, I just uh, was talking to Schmuggatelli. He said that uh, y'all both took a trip. Uh, with your families you know that's awesome that y'all are traveling with your family whatever it is so it helps you develop your team and to keep that team intact because if you let something fester in your team so the the b-ry schmuggatelli now okay well you know rick is gonna side with schmuggatelli and Tom is going to side with B-Rise point of view. And now we've got a divide in our team. There is no way that our team can thrive with that divide. But if I can get in there and stop it early, then that's going to help. And that's going to maintain that loyalty within our, our team, Brian. Oh, yeah. You know, and when I think about that company culture, too, though, <clears throat> Um, it makes me kind of think of uh, something that I know Dave Ramsey talks about often in his company culture and how he goes about things. Now, he has a what's called a strict no gossiping rule. Now, what gossiping means with him is if you can't directly affect something that you're talking about dealing with that company, then you're not to be talking about it or spreading rumors about it. Hmm. Uh, and it's kind of it's kind of how he keeps the culture a certain way. And his, this is what he says. He basically says, we catch you one time, that's your warning. The second time, he says, we let you go. You do not work there anymore. I'm like, that is, wow. So I, the way I like to compare this, I also do like the gossiping thing. I feel like uh, <laughs> I've seen my fair share of gossiping, and I've probably even partook it in, the, in times past when, when it comes to that. Uh, to me, I look at it as standards and discipline, too. All right, so part of the company culture of also getting out and about and, and see people is do you uphold those standards and discipline, right? Or do you pick and choose, right? That's going to change. That's going to change the company culture. Oh, he just does what he thinks he wants to. We talked about, we've talked about it before where it's the do as I say, not as I do. Um, it, when you can create a, a norm for them to understand, that's great. And getting around to talk to people, oh, come on now. That's that's probably <laughs> one of the best things you can do to increase uh, the morale and whatnot. Yeah. I th <laughs> so, yeah, I think that the getting around, talking to people. I remember being a young soldier 
And in artillery, I was artillery at the time, we have what's called the gunnery sergeant. We have the smoke, which is basically the senior E7. Anyway, the smoke would come around. When the smoke would come around, you know, he'd stand around and smoke and joke with you and talk sports or whatever, crack a few jokes, and then you'd go back to work. And, and it was fun. And when you're in a field uh, environment, so basically you're in a training environment, you're sleeping under the stars or in a tent or whatever, and you're working through the night and you're shooting these rounds of artillery, that little breakup of the monotony of it all is is a nice morale booster as well. And, and so you're in this uh, net, you know, you have the net over your vehicle, you have the net over your gun, and it's the same six people. Well, back then it was all dudes. So it's the same six dudes, right? Well, I've seen you for the last eight hours right here in this little control area. But when he comes, the smoke comes, that's somebody new, you know, there's different discussions, there's joking around and whatever. So it kind of helps with that, uh, with the culture within that gun section. Well, here we go, man. Number three, then. Number Manage three. employee engagement. <laughs> Number three, 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 three. All right. So it says, Kyle, a loyalty expert and allegiance best practices manager says that employee engagement is the number one component of loyalty. While Kyle recommends using actual analytical tools like the like it scale and numerical scale of agreement, small business managers can generally get a feel for engagement without in, per, in personal surveys. And I'll tell you right now, I, I, I dislike surveys. They drive me <laughs> crazy. I know they're supposed to be the effective way, but you can only count on like 10% of the surveys because half of them are just clicking whatever because they don't give a crap. Um, but surveys, not so much. I don't know. I think I really believe in that whole where we get out and about and talk to people and listen to people. That's what helps. And what they're saying here is just keep your eyes and ears open. That's how you understand, like you actually get the real feel of it. You listen uh, to the water cooler gossip or watch who, which I don't agree with the gossip part, but watch who participates during meetings and training sessions. See who does the lion's share of the work during co-op projects. Get to know your employees on a personal level or at least individual. And because engagement plays across all aspects of performance, you can see the the basic what's considered like the secret shoppers or the people, the things that are making it happen uh, within that organization, right? Company companies really, and, and and I'm not just talking about civilian companies. Also, you know, you can see it in a, a military organization too. Usually, your your real go getter, they're not sitting there pounding their chest saying, "Look at me, look at me." Those are usually the people that aren't doing enough, and they just want everybody to think they're doing something. So, uh, but I definitely think. Employee engagement is key. And if I'm noticing, this is just a solution for me, managing that employee engagement. If I'm noticing someone who's not really, they're not as active as some others, well, I'm going to figure it out why, one. Because there may be some issues there that I got to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing too is maybe we're not tasking them towards their strengths, where we'll talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit later on when it comes to talent management also. I definitely think that sometimes if you, if you're, or most of the time, if you pay attention to what's going on with who, you could actually divvy up pieces of projects or or whatever it is uh, that needs to be done to benefit everyone and allow them to feel empowered. And then they become engaged in what's going on. Because I will definitely say 
when you lose engagement, you'll lose loyalty because then they're going to want to go somewhere else. That's and to me, that's kind of how I see employee engagement. Uh, what are your thoughts? So in the value of influence episode, we talked about uh, employee engagement actually quite a bit. If you think back when we were talking about personal power. So we're talking about employee engagement as a tool to increase your personal power within an organization and the importance of it. You know what I mean? Like it, if you get to know people, um, you know, at a lower level, or if you, you know, it, nothing feels better for a, a person that works for you. They need you to say, Hey, I know your wife, Tammy had a root canal. How's, how's she feeling? Oh, he said my wife's name. He knows who my wife is. He remembers. I told him she was having this root canal. Like, yep. and, and that builds not only your leadership capital, but it helps with the employee engagement, which is, um, you know, like the author said, it's the number one component of loyalty. So now I'm building that loyalty because I show a genuine care. I care enough to remember um, these things. So, and then when he, for me, Brian, I know I watch who participates in training sessions because that's what we're taught to do by the Bearded Ninja. Instinctive Influence is brought to you by Bearded Ninja Beard Balm. Um, <laughs> made from snake venom and pomade. <laughs> but you know, he tells you, "Hey, watch who's participating," and they call on the people who aren't participating. So that helps to boost one their confidence uh, when they when they do get into participation. A lot of times, that's all it is. They don't want to participate because they don't want to say something off the wall. Um, so those are things that are really strong when you talk about you know managing your employee engagement or interpersonal uh, skills, how you deal with. Uh, people in your organization to help build loyalty, Brian. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I really think as we, as we start, we're going to shift to the next one. I think this next one that you're about to get into, Ed, to me, I've seen loyalty truly grow with this next piece that you're about to talk about. So this next piece is interesting to me. One, the first thing it says, the first three words in the paragraph Frustration is treacherous. And we're talking about enhanced education and equipment. Number four. Um, four, four, four. But yeah, the first three words. Frustration is treacherous. Frustration is treacherous. Frustration is frustration. It is what it is. It's terrible to be frustrated. And, you know, the author goes on to say, once it sets in, it's incredibly hard to weed out. And like a pebble in your shoe only seems to create more problems the longer it's in there. So I don't know about you, but my foot hurt when I read that because I was thinking about the pebble and the shoe thing a little too much. Um, So, all right. Now we're talking about, like I said, number four is enhancing education and equipment. Well, where's the frustration come from? And one of the most common sources of uh, employee frustration is not having adequate training or resources to get the job done. So here we go. You want to you want me to go to a budgeting meeting? But I haven't even been to the class to train me to do the job. So I don't really completely understand the budgeting of my job. But you want me to attend a budgeting meeting and be prepared to present to my supervisor. That is frustrating because now I feel like I'm going to look foolish. I'm going to fail, you know, fear of failure. Yeah. All these things are thrown in there, Brian. That's it's you know, what I mean, like. So when we talk about how frustration is treacherous, here we go right here, uh, inadequate training to get the job done. It would be like when you and I went to the NCO Academy and, and we just show up and they say, all right, go teach. 
but I haven't been to the instructor course yet. Can I get some training? Um, you know, so what are your thoughts on that, Brian? I, I tell you, when I read some of this stuff on here, Ed, uh, don't, if there's constantly throwing employees into situations in which they don't feel comfortable or expecting them to meet goals with broken, outdated, <laughs> or less than useful equipment, there will be problems. I, my friend, I've been a part of places where we've had broken, outdated, yeah. <laughs> or useless equipment. Uh, and let me tell you something. Nothing creates more frustration. If you if I have a problem, at least allow me the ability to have the tools to fix that problem. Now, when I say tools, it doesn't always mean like tools like a ratchet and a screwdriver and all that stuff. Sometimes it's tools, leadership tools. You know, that to me, that's that's mm, kind of like a metaphorical a uh, equipment. If I haven't been taught certain things, I'm not going to understand, which is also the education piece. I'm not going to understand how to deal with a problem. You know, if I, if I didn't know that there's certain uh, resources and agencies within the government uh, that are so that support the United States Army or Marines or Navy or Air Force, if I didn't know of these, then I may not utilize them, and then I'm just basically running into a wall all the time. And that's why this, it's always good for there to be kind of like a refresher, especially when somebody goes from specialist to sergeant, and, and every once in a while, you know, you do the you do the NCOPDs. And I'm I'm talking enlisted side. There's also an officer side, but where people become familiar with these different agencies, which are tools, so to speak, to help you when you run into leadership issues or issues uh, with people that uh, you lead. Uh, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a firm believer about the education piece though, Ed. Uh, and I've said this before, nothing has upset me more with an organization when there are people who understand how to fix a problem. Like say, for instance, on an aircraft of what I did and they understand it and they always want to be the one that fix it because they want to have the hand, you know, the pat on the back and, hey, good job. Hey, such and such, they're the one who did it. Yay, rah, rah, rah. Instead of, hey, I need you three new people. Come with me. I want to show you how this is done uh, and how we're able to do this. And you educate those, those instead of, well, I'm going to go fix it. You guys go do something else that's least important or less important. Well, that's not, that's, doesn't, that doesn't build loyalty at all. No one wants Mm-mm. to be loyal to that organization in a sense because now they're just like, well, I'm just all I am is just a kind of the gopher, so to speak. So I, I can totally, I can attest to that, and I that's why I said, you know, enhance education equipment. Um, I have a, I have a bone to pick about some of the education stuff, but I think it's more of just me, like a, a griping and groaning type thing uh, when it comes to like say <laughs> civilian education. But that's just me. I, I. And I, I know what it's like to struggle to try to get my civilian education done while also, you know, working hours upon hours a week. So I, I don't know. I'm not the person that uh, can actually fix that. So I'm not going to talk about <laughs> it. That would be gossiping. Well, I mean, there's, there's so much to this though. So, you know, I was just thinking while you were talking about like young soldiers, I, I even now I, I have, there's a young soldier. I told her, Hey, you need to get in the instructor course because they send her to teach and then she gets her AAR, her after action review comments, and they're very negative. And then when I look at them, I'm like, yeah, these are all things that you would get by going to the instructor course. You know what I mean? So I'm like, 
it's you need to tell them, hey, look, if you want me to continue to teach, I love teaching. And she is. She's going to be a teacher when she gets out the army. Then here's how I can be successful. And, and I'm frustrated because I go and these are the comments I get. So as a leader, they should be like, OK, yes, absolutely. Let's see. If it was me, I'd be like, all right, well, go on the, you know, the soft, the software that we have and tell me when the next class dates are in the locations. And then we'll look at our trainings calendar and see where we can fit you in to be able to let you go. And that kind of goes to the other point, you know, use solutions that will reduce friction for both you and your employees. So I can't just send her willy nilly to an instructor course. I have to make sure that, okay, I can afford to let you go here. And the problem we have in the military, and I'm sure it's the same in the civilian sector is we're so focused on mission that we don't want to sacrifice. So, you know, if I let Schmuggatelli go to this instructor course, now Brian and James are going to have to work a little bit more to cover down on the work Schmuggatelli normally does for that week, two weeks. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to sacrifice that. We don't want to ask somebody to do a little bit of extra work for two weeks. So we just don't send Schmuggatelli to the course. And then Schmuggatelli continues to struggle when we task them to do something. So in the civilian sector, I imagine it's kind of the same thing. You have to make sure there's no friction for you and your employee when you're looking for solutions to reduce, uh, you know, reduce the friction, which will then reduce some of this frustration, which we've already examined and said is treacherous. That uh, it is. And then for the equipment, Brian, like, but when you're going to have an organization in the civilian sector or military, it's really important. You have to look at those type of things with your equipment that you talked about and make the investment to upgrade it. And, and then you'll, the attitudes will change. I can promise you coming from a maintenance section, which of course you're obviously familiar with, when maintenance gets something that's new and shiny, let's talk about, uh, and I don't know, you might know what it stands for, the fresh, the big containerized tool room. Yeah. When the Army first started getting those, man, the maintenance guys were so happy to have something mobile, one-stop shop for all kinds of you know stuff they need to accomplish their mission. You really could see a difference in the attitude and the workload when you were in a deployed environment, whether it be a field training exercise or real world like Iraq, Afghanistan. You can see the difference, though, by uh, that equipment upgrade because it, it was a game changer. I don't need to carry, you know, 15 toolboxes around. Like, obviously, they still carry their individual tools, but we were carrying at that time, you know, they're carrying toolboxes. Then they're carrying these boxes with other, you know, welders and all this other stuff that's actually on the containerized unit. So, you know, the Army did a good job there. And, and that, that eliminates some of that frustration, Brian. Oh, yeah, man. And, you know, I mean, upgrading the equipment really, it's not as tough as people may seem and may think it seems to be. Uh, it just, it could get pricey sometimes, but hey, you know, sometimes it's worth, the price is definitely worth it. So, yeah. uh, but, Lady, let's get into number five. What do you got? What's number five? Structured dispute resolution. And I've got some examples of this, my friend, but let me first read what <laughs> they had to say here. When problems arise, how well you deal with them plays an important part on shaping your employees' attitudes. Having a structured system of dispute resolution is essential for creating a fair and balanced management system. If your employees know exactly what to do 
during the dispute process, they're more likely to accept the outcome whether they like it or not. On the other hand, if you if your dispute system is the least bit arbitrary, you'll find yourself facing charges of favoritism, exclusion, and possibly mm. even discrimination. Now, Ouch. every month we get the uh, monthly reports or whatnot, and within those, uh, I always get to see uh, if people can become promoted or not. And usually, there's also waivers to be promoted, and sometimes. Yeah. There are more people that can ex- that can receive a waiver than the waivers are allowed, and that to me that's is, that that is important because it creates a riff amongst the junior enlisted, especially because it's really only for the junior enlisted that you get the waivers and all that stuff for, and that's why parameters have to be set up to say, all right, those of you who can do X, Y, and Z, you're going to be in front of your peers, and if you can do these things, then you become uh, you've earned the right to get a waiver because what you've done is you set yourself apart from peers. And I've had I've had people where they get upset. And they're like, "Well, yeah, but I've been a I've been a PFC longer than such and such." Oh, and, mm-hmm. and you know what? You've been a PFC this long because you didn't go out of your way like uh, PFC such and such who went to the board, who tried to do really well on their PT test and got a, you know, 290 in each event. They they want to go to the range and constantly improve their shot. Oh, by the way, they stay uh, late after work to uh, assist in any additional things that come out while you leave early. Uh, you're, you've been late once or twice, you know, so there's, there's different things. And to me, if you're not careful with that, then people will start claiming, oh, it's just favoritism or, yep. you know, I'm just being excluded because somebody doesn't like me or, you know, or, or, you know, the discrimination piece, you know, and we have EO where it's supposed to give, it gives us those guidelines. So we don't discriminate against people, but at the same time, punishments, punishments, you know, that, that, that was the, that was the reward side of things, but people tend to consider it punishment if they don't get rewarded. Then there's the punishment side of things. You know, if I have two people who do exactly the same thing, I have to, they have to be punished the same. Now, absolutely. One, you have to, now, I, I do believe you have to look at it case by case. Cause let's, let's just say, for instance, one was by accident, the other one was by purpose, right? And it can be proven to be such. Well, you know, it, you have to look at it differently. All right. But you have to also ensure that, it, you know, if this person has been late three times and this person and, and they get an article 15 or they get punished and then this person over here is late three times and a fourth one has happened and still nothing, now we have a problem across the organization, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I, I tell people, hey, listen, they're late that third time within a you know certain time of period, there needs to be some type of action taken. They, there needs to be something to hold them accountable. And that's why that structured dispute resolution, if people know how things work with an organization, you tend to have less problems for things like that. Does it make sense, Ed? No, I mean, it really makes sense, actually. Uh, you know, when you're talking about these dispute resolutions and, and there's a way to do it. And I think it is very important that you understand that and, and you deal with it. And it, I'm trying not to lead into the next point just yet, Brian, so if you have yeah. anything to close this out, because it's going to lead straight into the next point. <laughs> oh, man, take it. Take it home, brother. All Let's right. go to number six. 
All right. So with number five, you're talking about the structure dispute resolution, right? Well, part of that is number six, nip problems in the bud. I haven't heard that term in years. My drill sergeant used to say that when I was in the first time. I'm going to nip it in the bud. Nip it in the bud. But basically, all you nip it in the bud is don't let the issue grow. Don't let it become worse. You know, that issue is like when you have a serious issue, that's like a cancer in your organization and you need to perform surgery and get rid of it. Do not let it grow until, you know, it overcomes everything. So his example, he says, you don't want issues to fester until they explode like hand grenades in the break room. The other important thing that he says is he says, keep your eyes and ears open and tell your management to do the same. That to me, that really is important in nipping it in the bud because now, you know, you've got multiple people out there and they're observing and really this to me, nip it in the bud. So I can, I can link it to the structure dispute resolution. You can link it, uh, you know, you can link it back to manage employee engagements. You can link it to the culture. And it's funny because this is probably one of the shortest uh, paragraphs in the entire article that we're using, but look for warning signs before things come to a head. And when you spot an issue, deal with it sooner than later, but deal with it fairly. So nip it in the bud. Like I said, it feeds right off of your structure dispute resolution, but you cannot say, oh, let me see what happens with this issue. Do absolutely not. You know what I mean? Like you're basically just letting it grow and grow. And the bigger it gets, the bigger that problem gets, the more effort it's going to take on you and your manager's uh, part to, to squash it and stop it from affecting uh, your culture of your organization and having a negative impact on the overall feel of the culture. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I like to relate that, that that entire piece right there to bad news doesn't get better with time. Absolutely. Because <laughs> I've seen it where it's like people will hold information, hold information. So I can attest to uh, somebody getting in trouble and it was rather serious. Uh, normally when that trouble happens, let's just say DUI, right? Somebody gets a DUI. Right. They were driving under the influence. They got in trouble. On a bike? Normally, when something like that happens, uh, no, 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 no. It was in a car. It's different, different situation. I don't want to, yeah. Uh, yeah. But when, normally when that happens, the, the, usually the chain of command finds out very quickly. Oh, yeah. Usually they're called within hours of it, normally, right? Nothing is worse than it happening on a Friday night, and you don't find out about it until Tuesday morning. Mm. Like, <laughs> And it wasn't a four-day weekend or anything like that, right? It was actually like we went to work on Monday. And you you basically, hey, why didn't you know about this? What? Know about what? You know? Um, and What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's just, you know, bad news does not get better with time. And when you talk about nipping in the bud, it that's basically you not walking by uh, without fixing an issue. Mm-hmm. If, if you know there's something going on, you have to address it. Now, and if you know there's something good also going on, so I, I can reverse this, nip it in the bud. Also, bring the praise when it's needed. If you know something's good going on, you you got to make sure people know that you know because their efforts, they're, they're important to them. And if, if those efforts go unnoticed, well, they may not give as much care as much next mm-hmm. time. Who knows? But, yeah, nip it in the bud, man. So I feel like, Ed, nip it in the bud. 
takes us right into the next one, <laughs> to be honest. I think you're absolutely correct. Yeah. So and what we're getting in here is basically how we create that loyalty, right? Yep. These three, it's funny. They go structured dispute resolution. Then we have nip problems in the bud. Well, the very next one is maintain neutrality. Maintain neutrality. Fairness is a function of neutrality. Calvin Sun of the Tech Republic maintains that neutrality can be a manager's best friend. When an employee comes to you with a problem or concern, your immediate response may be either to join their cause or to shoot down their concern without a second thought. However, this puts you in the position of compatriot rather than supervisor. While employees want to feel they can approach their boss, you must set yourself apart and look at the issue objectively. By doing so, you can not only zero in on what's best for the company, you can see what needs to be done in order to put the employee's mind at ease without playing favorites. Remember, you're the boss and employees don't have to like your orders. They just have to respect them. Now, I think if, when I think about maintaining neutrality, there's an individual that you and I worked with both that I feel as if he, they were the epitome of maintaining neutrality, and that would have been John Rogers. Mm, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just to me, he, you know, he knew how to be the fair, honest broker, and I, I think how he went about it was amazing. And it's like, well, I just got to think about it from both sides. But in my case, also, I've, my mentor, uh, Sergeant Major Brian, he was very much into that maintaining neutrality. He's like, well, I got to hear all the both sides of things. I, I, I got to, we've got to dig deeper into this, you know, to make sure oh, John used to say, you got to peel the onion back, you know, uh, yep, but, peel back the onion. <laughs> exactly. But that maintaining neutrality, it's like, you can't automatically say, Oh, guilty. You know, it, that's, it's not fair. Right. And it's looking at the entire thing, uh, the entire piece of it before making judgment. Yeah, no, you definitely, and you gotta be, and you know, one of the things here, so I'll give you a good example is, um, so you have, you know, you have Schmuggatelli <laughs> and Schmuggatelli has a subordinate who is a um, wounded warrior, wounded veteran, right? And the Schmuggatelli's boss is in the establishment and says, you know, ask the, the, the wounded warrior, like, cause they have a lot of appointments and what have you. You know, like, what is wrong with you anyway? So, one, that's bad. You're not, you really can't do that to somebody who's been wounded like that. Um, but the employee now feels the one who's wounded feels offended because of the questioning over their appointments for their health. So, after the 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 overall supervisor John leaves, Schmuggatelli, uh. You know, the this morning asked Schmuggatelli and says, Hey, you know, like I'm I'm offended. I'm I may want to make, you know, an, an a complaint. Like I feel like that's harassment. So at this point, Schmuggatelli in their mind is like, Yeah, it's harassment. But in their deeds say, Hey, you know, you have the right to do whatever you feel you need to do. But Schmuggatelli sits on the line and does not say, Yeah, he was wrong or yeah, you're right just tells them these are your rights. This is what you can do. It's your decision. And that's it. So I think Schmuggatelli does a good job at remaining neutral when their subordinate is like, Hey, I feel offended. 
over what your boss said to me. You know what I mean? So then cooler heads prevailed. The, so the, you know, the, the guy who's actually the wounded soldier, he, he, he thinks about it and then decides not to make it an additional complaint. But that's kind of a good example of remaining neutral because you can't, you, even though it, in your mind you feel, yeah, you're right. You should make a complaint. You know, Schmuggatelli says, but I have to stay out of it because I don't want to compromise anything and, and, and remains neutral. So I think it's a good example of why that's important because wh- whichever way Schmuggatelli goes, if sides with the management, now Schmuggatelli can get brought into the complaint too. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if you side yeah. with the subordinate, now the management's looking at Schmuggatelli like they could be a cancer in the organization that needs to be nipped in the bud because they're causing problems. So they do what they should as a supervisor and just remain neutral down the line. Yeah. And that's and it I mean sometimes it can be difficult because you, you have empathy, right? And yes. that empathy will make you want to kind of feel for them. But at the same time, it's like, no, I, I have to I have to stay the course. I got to stay strictly down the middle. Mm-hmm. And and it can be tough, though. So you yeah. ready to give us number eight, my man? Uh, you've given us number eight earlier in the episode, really. But number eight is give and expect to receive respect. Respect is a two-way street. And while many managers demand it of their employees, I think we talked about that last episode, they often play at giving it back. Employees can see through false statements and deeds like radar through fog. The last thing you want is for everyone under your charge, your tag to view you as fate or under you to view you as fate. That's why everything you do, good or bad, should always be genuine. Relate to your employees on a more equal plane and give them their suggestions and their personalized the respect they deserve without spouting platitudes. So basically, when we talk about this, this is really going back to the last episode uh, and the article by Sergeant Major Farley, where we talked about the difference between personal power and positional power uh, when we talk about influence. So managers demand respect, right? And basically, that is positional power. I'm the manager. You will respect me. And we used to remember in the Army, used to always hear it. I don't hear it so much. You'll respect the rank, if not me. Like, that's ridiculous. You need to respect both because that personal power and positional power have to coexist. And, and one of them should be, it should be a 90, 10 split if you ask me, but, um, and that's where respect comes from. I want you to respect me on a personal level, not because of the rank that I wear, the position I hold in the organization. You know, if I, if I'm a janitor, I want the same respect that I, you know, that you give the CEO. All right. That, that's just me as a human. I think that's what helps. And, uh, I think that's why that's crucial in building loyalty, because if I give you the same respect as Joe Schmuggatelli, the private that I give yeah. to Master Sergeant Brian Weber, that's excellent. That's what we want out of it, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, I've, I've got a couple uh, kind of examples to that. So one of the things that I've, I've, I've seen throughout my career is people who do force that respect thing, and they're basically do positional power, mm-hmm. uh, is... They, you know, they're a master sergeant and they say, you can refer me as master sergeant. Well, not really, because 600-20 command policy in the very back states, I'm to refer to you as sergeant. And I got Mm -hmm. in trouble some time back. Uh, It was more of just a verbal altercation type thing because he was not having it. The fact that I was going to call him sergeant 
but that's what it is. And when you when you're trying to, uh, you just want to be called that. Sh- your title shouldn't matter. It really shouldn't. Now I understand. You know, they call me first sergeant. Yeah, because that's that is kind of like that's what you're supposed to do. It says it in in the six hundred twenty also, but it's those type of people. Those are the ones that are not. They're they just expect to be respected, and that's how you respect them by calling them masters. No, I'm sorry. That's no. So At the same time. Would, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. So it's kind of funny that you use that example because so when we were at the NCO Academy, I definitely would say Master Sergeant Rogers. But to in my mind, if you say it without being told you have to say it, it feels almost like more of a respect thing to him. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. So if I yeah. say Master Sergeant Weber, I feel like I'm giving you that extra because I have that kind of respect for you to give you a little extra. I hit you. No, I, and I, I totally agree. Um, I just, I'm one of those people that I, I, I can't stand when people want to force that on someone and when it doesn't even, right. it doesn't even follow our regulation. Type and and thing, we know right? Rogers would never force it. Like I said, wouldn't a force oh, absolutely. It was more of a, I wanted to call him that because that's how I felt like he deserved to be addressed. But again, and it was, it wasn't even, a, it was instinctive. It wasn't even a conscious thing that I said, Oh, that's that's him. I better call him Master Sergeant Rogers. I gotta call him Master Sergeant Rogers. I won't be respectful. That's just a, it. Just came out honestly. Yeah, and that whole respect thing. Uh, like I said earlier, you know, we talked about loyalty is one of those big ones. Well, respect is another big value that I notice kids are kind of hovering around. And so I read it was a meme, and I can't remember how long. And it supposedly was a Tom something Tom Hardy said, but. <clears throat> but I'm not really sure if it's true or not, but I still like what it was said was I was taught growing up to treat the janitor just like I treat the CEO. And I think to me, I've <laughs> tried to live that way. It's like, just because you know, you run the place it doesn't mean you're more important or you deserve more respect than the person who's cleaning the place mm-hmm. you know, all the time. So yeah, definitely, man. All right. So, yeah. So that's number eight. Give and expect to receive respect, Brian. I believe it is your <laughs> t- What are you laughing at? Oh, because, oh, we've had this talk before, haven't we not, Ed? Yeah, yes, we've had we this have. talk yes. many times. So what's yeah, number Ed. nine, Brian? Nine, nine, uh, nine, nine. Nine. Number nine is avoid micromanagement. So you have to understand what micromanagement is before you understand what it is to be avoided. But part of earning an employee's loyalty is showing them that you trust them to do their job. If you're constantly looking over their shoulder or you're not letting them grow, that's pretty much micromanagement. While taking charge of everything may seem like a good idea, it's a surefire way to generate animosity and distrust in your subordinates. Instead, set reachable goals, ensure employees have the skills and resources to get the job done, and give feedback, and they're able to give feedback during and after the fact in order to mold performance positively. And that's what I agree with. I, I do. There should be temperature checks throughout any type of project or anything like that, mm-hmm. or, or any type of task that I say, here's the task. And, and I personally like to say, here's the task, let me know if you need any help with it. I don't want to tell them how to do it and all that stuff, but I just want to make sure, hey, and I want you to hit these three or four parameters, whatever parameters or whatever goals I've set. 
And then every once in a while, I'll be like, hey, how's that going? Did we get through with that? Did blah, blah, blah. Because I'll say, I got to stay informed, you know? And then you have your occasional knucklehead who will say, oh, I just haven't even started on it yet. Now, now it turns into, I'm now going to tighten the screws down and make sure it's done. And that might seem like micromanagement, but if I give somebody plenty of leeway to get you know, a project done, there's ex- certain expectations, you know? So, but what are your thoughts about that, Edward? Well, I think that you're right. You know, you need that temperature check because you honestly, the, another old army saying is um, inspect, not expect. So if you don't do those temperature checks at the end of the day, uh, whatever that task is, it, you probably got it from somebody higher than you in the organization. So when it fails, it's probably going to be you that answers for it, or maybe somebody senior to you. So you have to at least be able to do the temperature check. Like you said, inspect on, make sure it's getting done. Right. Don't just say, Oh, well they're staff sergeants or there's, you know, they've been with this company for 10 years. So I know that it's getting done. Do you though? You know, that's expecting them to get it done. So I, that part I can agree with. Um, And then I think there's different levels with micromanagement. I think, you know, so your definition of looking over somebody's shoulder, because we're not talking about literally like creeper style looking over somebody's shoulder, but uh, the def, I think there's that's where you run into trouble is because your definition of looking over somebody's shoulder and my definition of looking over somebody's shoulder and schmuggatelli's might be different. Oh, yeah. So I think that's one of the kind of the areas of confusion. There is a lot of confusion over what is and isn't micromanagement. Uh, and I think that's some of it comes from that. You know what I mean? I think that also comes down to a good communication process though, Ed, because uh, I think if, if I'm explaining to you, all right, this is, this is the task. These are the goals I'd like you to meet. uh, And then I'm also informing you every once in a while, I'm going to check in with you to kind of see where we're at. So I have an update. What I've done is I've given you that uh, of what the intent is and you, you know that I'm going to engage you on it. So you'll have to report back type thing. Um, And I, it was communicated. But if it's not communicated, sometimes people will feel like, oh, yeah, they're over my shoulder, all this stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's really, yeah, you. I think it has to be communicated to kind of create that. And I do agree. I've been I've been in a, a part of organizations where micromanagement was, I mean, you're talking about the smallest little things are going all the way up the flagpole and down. It, that right there, it's you waste so much time on that. And so much energy goes into such little tiny little teeny tiny things that it almost feels like nothing is that important anymore. And it almost dulls the senses of sorts. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and so that's, so actually one of the things I really enjoy about this new job I have is because we do a lot of traveling to meet with different uh, people. It's impossible. We're, there's only three of us. There's only three of us to do the traveling. So it's impossible for one person to be in Italy, one person to be in Poland, one person to be in Estonia. You know, that that's logical, but it's impossible for all of us to be there. Or So you, you, I have a lot more freedom. And honestly, since I've been doing it, I feel like um, it's very rewarding when you get let loose and the micromanaging's not there and you're away from the flagpole and you're here making decisions and and stuff on your own. So I think that that's very rewarding. And, and because the, the person I work for allowed me, I mean, almost immediately to action these things on my own, 
I mean, there's a loyalty. He's already started building some leadership capital with me, some loyalty with me based on him trusting. And he doesn't even ask for feedback. Uh, I just give it because I had a leader one time and that was his big peeve, which we all have those things, right? So he would say, hey, I need you to start planning a range. And then at the end of the day, you'd be like, all right, I'm out of here. And he's like, and? Like he wanted just just feedback. Just, hey, the range plan is going well. It could be very simple. Range plan is going well, and I forecasted the ammo, and then you're good. Uh-huh. This guy doesn't really care. He Not that he doesn't care. He doesn't ask for it. So I just volunteered because it's how I was trained at one point by Sergeant First Class Ramirez was the feedback before you go home. So, <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, I, when you can get away from the micromanaging and for somebody who has been in organizations where you're micromanaged, when you get away from that, it's so rewarding, that freedom and flexibility. Now, is it more stressful? Yeah, because I'm making decisions that were made for me before now i'm making them so if they mess up it's on me you know oh, yeah yeah so and i think i think the avoiding the micromanagement ed also plays a part in uh employee empowerment which turns mm-hmm. into employee engagement which we talked about Bam. last show so <laughs> i mean you're you're yep. basically you're helping yourself create this forced multiplier and and, and a, a truly loyal employee or subordinate or peer whatever it is to you yeah, absolutely. All right, you ready to give us this last one, number 10? Yes, I am. Uh, so the last thing, Brian, number 10 is reward appropriately. So you and I both know we've, we've either received or given uh, some kind of an award or some kind of reward, whether it be time or an actual award over our careers. Rewards can be a powerful loyalty builder, but they must be appropriate to the action or else they create an impression of imbalance or unfairness. Be sure to reward your employees liberally, either with praise or simple freebies, but ensure the reward matches the deed. So when you give a soldier, you know, an award or you give them some time off or something like that, they're appreciated, but they're, I've actually seen it where it, you know, a soldier gets something and they don't feel like they deserved it. And, it's a difference. You can see a difference in their attitude, a difference in how they respond to that. But when you give them something that they know, I absolutely worked for this. I earned this. Um, that helps to strengthen the bond of loyalty between you and that subordinate or that team member or whichever. Oh, definitely. I, I can definitely tell you that, you know, the, the rewards tend to uh, be, they, they could be the make or break of an organization also. So I've been in those ones where no one gets anything. And then I've also been in those ones where it seems like every little tiny thing, somebody gets an award. You've got to find that fine yes. middle ground because yep. if everyone's getting one for everything, then it really has no meaning, right? It's just, oh, anybody can get this. And then on the opposite side, if no one's getting them, it's like everything we do can't be good enough. So it's, you got to find that middle ground. Uh, some of the things that I tend to like to do because I can't like give a reward that gives extra money or anything like that. And sometimes some of the things that deserve to be rewarded, they're really not um, like an army award worthy. So for instance, if somebody's, uh, if, if I'm looking for volunteers to pull a duty because uh, something came up and we need mm-hmm. somebody, I'll ask for volunteers. 
And But once I get those volunteers, I'll make sure that they know, hey, listen, take a three-day. You deserve it. You earned it. Because we're taking a day from you, let me give you a day, right? So th- those are the those are the types of things that I think really works. Um, it, even the thank yous, right? If I walk by yes. somebody a hundred times a day and I never say thank you for everything you do today, right? Then they don't even know they're appreciated. I mean, the thank yous alone are pretty awesome. You know, I, I don't know how many different times, Ed, where I'd say, hey, thanks for uh, working on blah, blah, blah. And they'll say thank you back for appreciating or thank you back for noticing. I mean, that goes a long way. And, and it's just a simple two words, really. Thank you, right? Or sometimes I just say thank you and they'd be like, for what? I said, for doing a great job. That's all you ever do for me, you know? And they're like, they're like in awe. Like, he said thank you because, you know, he actually believes I, I make a difference here. It it is important. I really think it is, you know. Um, I'm I'm a fist bump high five person. I don't give hugs or anything <laughs> like that, but I, I I hand those out too like candy because I believe people earn it. <laughs> I don't know why just thinking of you not being a hugger. I I've always thought you were a hugger. Uh no. No, that's not me. I, I, I hug my well, my wife and my children. Well, I'd hug you because you're like a big teddy bear, but you're different. You know, you're my you're, well, you're my co-host. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll, I'll buy that for a hug, dollar. man. Yeah, brothers hug. Isn't it? Was that Tommy Boy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. Yeah. Hey. Brothers don't shake hands. They hug. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of that singer? Oh, Jimmy. Oh, never mind. Um, <clears throat> Uh, so basically what we just went over was these 10 areas to help increase loyalty within your organization, 10 different areas that helps to create that loyalty. But just remember that every little bit counts, right? You don't have to implement all of these practices at once. You know, I would take them one step at a time, you know, start with a small one then work your way up from there. Uh, and some of them, they build upon each other. Obviously we, we even mentioned that three of them were very similar, but loyalty, it builds cumulatively. All right. Employees gradually respond to changes in that, that particular behavior and management style and, and company per, uh, performance. So every bit of loyalty, every positive action, every improvement, every appropriate response to a challenge, that all adds up. All right. It's important to take stock of where you're at, where you want to be, and then how you plan to get there. But it's more important to act. All right, build a good behavior, build on good behaviors and go forward from there. I'll be an actor and not a reactor. I would definitely say that is key. Mm. If I if I engage loyalty a certain way, it's going to help me in my organization. All right. And when I say help me, I'm not thinking about me as in being selfish, but as in me and understanding everyone there understanding where I need to uh, to create more improvement, basically kind of almost like do a mini, little mini AAR of what's going on, and it allows me to, you know, improve. Uh, Ed, what do you got, brother? Yeah, so this is another kind of short episode. Now, I really appreciated the way the episode tied together with the previous episode, Brian. I thought that was really good. Uh, loyalty has always been a pretty big thing for me. Even growing up, like, 
you know, you grow up in a less than stellar area and loyalty and respect are two of the biggest things. Before I knew anything about army values, these were two of the biggest things um, growing up for us. So uh, it was interesting. It's interesting to go over these 10 items and, and see how they interact with each other as well as stuff that we've talked about mm-hmm. uh, over the last year plus on the show. So I thought this was a, uh, this was a good call, bro. I'm, I'm going to give you a little, I'm going to give you a little golf clap for this one for picking out this article, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks buddy. Uh, hey, but I'm, I'm kind of excited to get into the next two, man. You, these, the next two are yours that you came up with. You know, during our little uh, staff meeting, brainstorming type stuff, one of them's positive. Staff and- meeting? <laughs> okay, there really wasn't a staff meeting. I was I was just saying that because I wanted to feel important. Um, <clears throat> anyways, uh, the next one is positive and negative influence of talent management, which I'm, I'm excited because, you know, I love when we talk about talent management. I enjoy those types of topics. And then the following after that is six basic tendencies of human behavior, which I think, am I mistaken by saying that is also very much like we've already talked about some of the stuff? Uh, yeah, there's some uh, definitely some links together in that one. And then they're going to kind of hopefully work together as well. I think both of them have links. That's the beauty of this show, though, when we talk about this stuff. I mean, you can't, at least I think it'll be very difficult to come up with shows that don't touch on each other. Uh, for an instinctive influencers podcast. But I think that that's really good because it's like building blocks, you know, I've been doing Legos lately. So it's like building something with Legos, man, you know, (laughs) (laughs) over time and space, these all go together. They complement each other. And, uh, and hopefully the listeners actually, hopefully they had the moments like we do where we're like, Oh, you know, remember when we talked about this on episode, you know, we talked about episode 45, the charisma plays a role. And I hope listeners have that kind of an experience too. Yeah, exactly, man. Well, I can't, I can't just let everyone go now without giving them a task. You would not be a taskmaster if you didn't. A <laughs> taskmaster. All right. So, hey, here we are. We got episode sixty-one task. Boom. Episode sixty-one task is what might be another way to build loyalty in an organization. So we talked about 10 different ways, but I, uh, there's got to be other stuff out there. I mean, We're I looking bet you. for 11 or more. Yeah, maybe number 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Who knows? But just think about it. If, if you notice there's something in your organization that has created this loyalty base that has uh, increased and become better and created a positive environment, all these different things that make people want to stay there. And if we didn't mention it, hey, let us know because – Ed and I would love to do this more research to find out, hey, what else can create that loyalty in an organization? Who knows? We may have own, end up owning an organization one day, and we want to make it the best place to work on earth, you know? I definitely uh, would. I've been doing some marketing research. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But with that, Ed, do you have anything for the audience before we go? Well, I would encourage the audience to get involved. Get involved with the Instinctive Influencers podcast by looking us up on social media, on Facebook and Instagram at 101 Influence. Check out our website where you can meet the voices and see the faces uh, on the Instinctive Influencers website. But definitely continue to support us. Check out our uh, social media platforms. We also have Twitter as well. I'm not very good at keeping up with it, but we do have it. It's there. And uh, 
So yeah, join the team, get involved. Absolutely. Get involved also by giving us a good rate and review. Either go to Apple Podcast and give us a rate and review on there. You know, click the stars, let us know what you think. Or go to the Facebook page, 101 Influence, as he said earlier, and give us a review on there. You can also leave them there. We need to know where we stand. What do you think of the show? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, other than that, Ed, I'm, I'm ready to close this one out, my man. I am... As well, Brian, I guess. Uh, Time for you to go I to mean, the gym, I'm, ain't it? I'm off. I'm off, and it's uh, 14.08, so 2.08 p.m. Yeah, dinner's in the slow cooker. Uh, I accidentally shook my supplements up on the air, so I'm about to go to the gym. I'm about to go to the <laughs> gym, man. <laughs> oh, you go get after it, brother. I am Brian. And I am Ed. And this has been the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Remember, loyalty within your organization helps build it and make it better. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.